Hi, I'm Aaron Lewis, your brazen atheist, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that, but with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. You just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Coming at you with the holidays This is Left of the Valley My name is Kevin And I tried making reservations at the library But they were completely booked <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team that had to swipe left many times to find you, the, the audience. If she was a veggie, she'd be a cucumber. Nancy. <laughs> and she, if she was a flower, she'd be a damn the lion. Christina. Hell yeah, I spread like fucking weed. <laughs> and if she was an Earl Grey, she'd be a hot tea. <laughs> Kirsten. What Ladies. did you do, Kevin? Okay, fine. I got you guys in trouble. Welcome back. Again? <laughs> you got us in trouble again? Well, you see, in case uh, for our dear audience, in case you weren't in, we're in a prank war with the gals from Secular Soup. And, you know, as great as they are, they decide to come and settle things once and for all next week oh right boy. here with us. Oh so I'm telling you right now, okay, I know this will be tempting for you guys to all of you guys to gang up on me. It'll be five against one. <laughs> I will not accept this. Well, you have to accept reality at some point, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are part of the Left podcast. of the Valley crew, okay? Left of the Valley crew. If you want to join Secular Soup, go right ahead. But, you know, right now, you're Left of the Valley crew. We'll be the grilled cheese. <laughs> Oh my god. The grilled cheese in their soup. Well, I don't know, ladies. Can we be bribed? Ah, uh, depends. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, we do have our loyalties, but then we do have our. I am just know. human. I mean, yes, we do have our vulnerabilities. Well, dear listener, this was the last show of Let's Go. Charlie's starting next week, and there'll be five of them at Secular Soup, and I will be the lone voice in the wilderness. All right, uh, so today we'll be talking to Dr. Wynell and her old friend, so Dr. Del Rey. Oh, hallelujah. We'll be talking about religious trauma and all that fun I stuff. I am here for this. But, <laughs> but first, let's do a chit chat. Uh, did you guys he- uh, see in the, uh, the newspaper, the Globe and Mail, uh, that uh, Canadian high school students are amongst the top readers in the world? I did mm-hmm. see that. Where yeah. she came in fourth overall. Uh, number one, two, and three was Shanghai, Singapore, and um, Macau, which is also in China. Hmm. Um, there was about 600,000 students in 79 countries that completed the test. Um, 82% of the boys and 90% of the girls... Uh, performed at a level two reading, which is the level two reading is what they call a minimal to function in society today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So apparently the girls are beating the boys in this country for that. Yeah. Um, the ministry basically said there's still room for improvement, which mm-hmm. is very encouraging, but, you know, it was still a very good score. Yeah. yeah you know, that in, 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 of course, we're delighted, but in a way, we, we really shouldn't be surprised because if you look at all of the um, positive lists of countries, you know, the ones that have the best education, the ones that are, you know, most progressive in terms of, of women's rights and, and things. If you just a standard of living, guess who is usually in the top ten? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so it's, it's always nice to know that, you know, we're not... 
we're not slipping. We're we're maintaining mm-hmm. the the kind of quality that we have in our country, and we're really proud of it. And it yes, it's, it's and great. Th- th- this is going to pay off in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as compared to our Americans, uh, uh, friends Oof, out yeah. south, where you know they've been facing essentially a uh, a fight against intellectual. Uh, intellectualism mm-hmm. as a whole, really, and especially uh, spurred on by the religious right, and these these uh, these chickens are coming to roost now, mm-hmm. and you can tell. Did Did you see the the list of um, countries that are um, are the most democratic? <laughs> that was my second point. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, you know, but I just wanted to mention something about the the reading test. Yes, something that might make the numbers less than they actually are is depending how this test is set up it might not be designed in a way that kids with learning disabilities or like adhd are able to do it at the same level in a test setting but they might be like really good readers in a relaxed environment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and of course kids with adhd and and mental uh faculties that are reduced or anything like that are also a smaller segment of the population mm-hmm. i think yep. but as a whole it, it paints a very good and positive uh, yeah, picture for yes. our country so that's very good and as nancy was saying um did you guys also read that the u.s was just classified as a flawed democracy yeah. and didn't even make the top 10 uh, sorry top 20 mm-hmm. in the Ugh. democracy index yeah damn they actually came in in 25th and who are they below? <laughs> <laughs> there are 60 indicators uh, for, for, for this uh, classification. Uh, stuff like electoral process, pluralism, uh, c- uh, civil liberties, political culture, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Canada came in the number six. Yay! Yeah, we did. Um, I really, you know, I just, I when I saw that the U.S. had come in at 25th, the sadness, I can't explain yeah. how sad... Yeah, since you, you were born American yourself, right? So because you, f- you think about, you know, where the country was 10 years ago, 8 years ago, 6 years ago, and then you think about this administration and the fact that it's just dragged the country down in anything that has to do mm-hmm. with um, ethics or democracy or voting or humanitarianism it's just slippery i i don't think this administration necessarily is the reason it's gotten worse i think this administration is using the loopholes that have already been there yeah because when you look at the last presidential um uh like i don't know what they're called the time when the last president was in the republicans were fucking shit up then too oh because like they were blocking all the shit that everyone wanted to do. Yeah, so, like, yeah. it was already failing way back I mean, then. That's you, true, you, but they're emboldened oh, to be able, so now that much. they have the majority yep. in, in the Senate, yeah. and the, the president is able to do his executive, mm-hmm. exactly. or th- those are the things that yeah. they can well, when, they can take advantage mm-hmm. of, of the loopholes. When you have yeah. a, a case, for example, like the, the, the gun debate in the U.S., where, you know, 70% to 90% of the population agrees that something yeah. needs to be done, yet it's not being done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you can no longer call yourself really a democracy at this point. And that's, um, a, that's, that's a sad point, is that you have an administration with with their policies and you have the rest of the population that by in terms of the majority they're horrified mm-hmm. but they don't at this point you know they, they can't sway the um the leaders you know toward 
toward you know the, the more democratic ways that they would like to see you know back in place or right. you know fully established the way they were. According to the Sad. article, North America is still the most democratic region in the world, but only because Canada's score actually raised the average from U.S. and Mexico <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to know um, most democratic places in the world, obviously countries: Norway, number one; Fair. Iceland, Sweden, New Zealand, and yeah. Den- and Denmark. And then, I of course, Canada. New Zealand. Yeah. So the good news, though, for the U.S. is that the political culture is on the rise. So uh, ever since the, uh, the the arrival of Donald Trump, more people yeah. are getting active politically. So yeah. hopefully that will change very, very yeah. soon. I definitely I feel like a lot of people in America with Donald Trump winning have realized just how fundamentally important every single election is, whether okay. it's local, whether it's primary or like... um whatever comes halfway through an an administration, um, like an off-year election, like every single thing is important because those people are the ones who put in judges, Mm -hmm. who put in the people in power. And if you don't have good people at the top, your whole country is fucked. Yeah, taking um, another view of that, in in 2013, the Supreme Court ruled that the Voting Act was no longer... Um, uh, it wasn't necessary, and th- the Voting Act at the time, uh, up until 2013, helped um, um, put a a, um, a a monitor on the, mostly the southern states mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't suppress which they voting. are doing rampantly so, now. So yesterday they had a vote in the Senate to try and restore the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. which up until now has always been bipartisan because that is fundamental mm-hmm. that everybody get a chance to vote so the uh, the um, um, the Congress the, the House the House of Representatives voted all the, the Democrats voted to expand mm-hmm. the Voting Rights Act only one Republican voted the rest of the Republicans all vote voted yeah. against the Voting Act so and if you amazing. if you talk about your elections People have to be able to vote, and what's happening is when you suppress the vote, you have a failed democracy. You have a failed democracy. <laughs> yep. And this exactly. goes back to exactly what we've been saying on the show for at least yeah. five years now. You know, conservative, in this case, in states Republicans, they cannot win unless they cheat or yeah. they win yeah. the game. They, yeah. The numbers are just not on the side, and they know this. They know this. So for them to win, they have to actually rig the game. They actually have to, and that's blatant proof right there. Um, I say we just eat the rich. (laughs) Speaking of Orange Julius, uh, (laughs) did you guys see that uh, basically uh, he called the uh, Prime Minister Trudeau two-faced? Oh, this was great. For mocking him at the NATO summit in the UK. Um, So basically, he had had a really bad time at the NATO summit. No Um, shit. Basically, there was a. a it's kind of it's kind of funny because I was looking at me saying it's like the cool kids were mocking Trump, <laughs> and and you know uh, basically the the prime minister said that uh, was making a reference that Trump's staff uh, jaw dropped. A, a, a camera and a microphone caught a caught him when he slipped out that the next NATO meeting was to be at Camp David. And he wasn't supposed to reveal that. And the, the staff, apparently, of <laughs> Donald Trump, their jaw just dropped. And the prime minister basically made made that comment to uh, Emmanuel Macron and Boris Johnson and a couple of uh, ladies the, that were there. I think it was the prime minister of the Netherlands. Maybe. And uh, possibly a princess from so, so he basically made that remark and he was kind of caught with a hot mic and yeah. camera there. And, <laughs> and then Trump basically said that Trudeau was two-faced and he basically took his ball and went home. <laughs> 
essentially. <laughs> he also had a bad time when Trump and Macron were in the front of the press, and Macron had to fact check Donald Trump <laughs> about ISIS soldiers, oh. uh, oh. most of them not from the United, uh, the uh, European Union. And then he posted of, uh, and then Trump boasted of the U.S. pillage in Syria, which what? is essentially well, yeah, which you know he basically said that we were in Syria and we took the oil, which is essentially pillaging and it's uh, a war crime. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> so, Oh, Trump, you're so stupid. So, yeah. Justin Trudeau and uh, Emmanuel Macron and even Boris Johnson yeah. was, you know, this is the funny thing is because now, of course, places like Fox News will say, oh, it's an attack from the left. You know what? Boris Johnson isn't on the left. No. He's far right. Yeah. And even Boris Johnson's laughing at him. So, yes, you know, yes, you are a laughing stock. Yeah. Yeah. You are really Literally. a laughing stock. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally. But Trudeau did get some pushback. Yeah, you he know? did get some pushback. Yeah, when he can't get home. Yeah, yeah, of course, from the from yeah. the, our conservatives here. It was probably because they're so like, dude, worried. you're not supposed to get caught on mic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that too. But yeah. he didn't really say anything that was really bad, right? No. He basically said this is the, the, the staff, their jaw dropped. I mean, it could have been way worse. It could have called Trump an idiot. But he didn't yeah. do that. Everyone was thinking it, though. Yes, everybody was thinking it. So basically, Trump wasn't too happy about that. So he, he, took, he canceled all his press conferences and he just went home. So stupid. <laughs> Such a mature decision. Yeah. yeah. So this it's not like he's the, the the guy that basically boasted that he would run into a building and confront a shooter, uh, like the but school shootings, some, couldn't some, handle some a couple of world leaders basically saying, "Man, are you kidding me?" <laughs> so I question the fact that he could run. Well, <laughs> True. Five points for that. <laughs> Waddle more like it. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Oh, I forgot. You know, I completely forget that we also have mail. <gasps> we have yeah, mail gang okay. friends. Ooh. They love us. Absolutely. I love Blue's Clues. <laughs> I just realized that was from Blue's Clues. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> and this is from our our, our, our good friend Freethinker215 Chief Wiggum supports the American Civil Liberties Union he says good evening uh, uh, about the Brazen Atheist episode another great episode I very much enjoyed the multiple dry runs of the commercial for Secular Soup good job on getting it done in so few takes it sounded too hilarious to do it with a straight face um, it was this of course if you don't know what we're talking about you have to basically have the Patreon feed which is the raw audio we don't edit anything this is the show as it is from beginning to end uh, without any editing any commercial but you can only get that if you're a patron I uh, I also love the Simpson Ken Brockman clip the interview portion with the Brazen Atheist Erin Lewis was also really good I like hearing about how she was treated in her local area in the US as an open atheist in comparison to other people's stories and my own experience one of my favorite parts was she, uh, she casually mentioned she'd be moving to Canada and when Nancy asked where she she's, uh, where, where and she says uh She's joking uh, while her comments were taken in earnest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not surprising that people want to escape America. So yeah. we're just like, how can we help? Yeah. Uh, I love the title of her book. The Bible taught me that God is a jerk. And the title of one of her chapters, God told me to touch your pussy. LOL. <laughs> Thanks for the shout out. I was also surprised to learn that Christina knows more about Quidditch than sports. I'm looking for... <laughs> wait, wait. He was surprised by that? He was. <laughs> Well, I, I was I was looking forward to hearing her goat story and the next comeback <laughs> and the next comeback from the Amy's. <laughs> oh. 
It's nice to have. Nice that you have a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I guess this mail uh, segment is brought to you by our new patron, Adrian. Now <gasps> a new patron. Thank you so much, Adrian, for being a patron, and you too can get great channels like Adrian by oh, being yeah. a patron. Welcome, Adrian. And patron <laughs> slash. Yeah, hope we hear from you N-E-D-V. often. Oh my gosh, hello, Adrian. Yeah, <laughs> That's so you're great. wonderful. We love you so much. Absolutely. I thought I had a message from Adrian. Let me check it. Let me see. Great audio. Yeah. More mail? I think I had something. Mail time. Some more mail time. More mail. Okay, but Blue's Blues is like the best kids TV show. It says, hi, everyone. I left at the Valley. Just wanted to say hi after subscribing and say thanks for the podcast. I emailed a little while ago in regards to the fake cancer cures, and you responded to the email on the show, which was awesome. Thank you for that. Oh, Oh, this is that, Adrian. Oh, my God. Okay. It says, keep up the great work, Adrian. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're one of our faves now. Yeah. Family just got bigger. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, Adrian, let us know if there's a topic that you'd like us to, to cover on the show or mm-hmm. talk about. Yeah, let us know. We'd love to do it for you. Perfect. My dear Nancy, in the meantime, you got yourself a top ten? I do. I'm sort of ahead of the curve with this one. Um, we're heading into the Christmas season. Oh, yes, So um, I thought I would give you ten places in the world to spend Christmas. You might not be able to catch that flight, you know, in time for this Christmas, but it'd give you time to plan maybe for next Christmas. And there are some um, oldies but goodies, but there are some surprising places that you might not even think about until uh, I tell you a little bit about them. So here we go, the 10 the ten best places to spend Christmas. And this isn't rated from 1 to 10. This is just 10. You pick the ones that you think are the faves and if you go let us know Ooh, that you yes. that you went and, and what you think about it yeah of the scenery <laughs> bring us a souvenir absolutely the, uh, first on the list is new york gross but and, okay <laughs> yeah new york <laughs> you go shopping yeah uh, i'm broke yeah <laughs> and well, i don't like lots of people <laughs> you know, well the thing is about new york is that it's not the fact that you have to spend a lot of money. It's visually beautiful during yeah. this time of the year. I like mountains. The, the I like mountains oh, much yeah. more than buildings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think the building is artificial mountains. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, there are so many movies that have been made there, like yes. Elf and um, uh, Chris oh. and... Uh, uh, Miracle on 34th Street and Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Home Alone. And so that people movie. had a chance. Donald to... Trump is in that movie. Oh, I know. I know. Home Alone too. He's in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so a lot of people are familiar with it, and I think it's on a lot of people's wish list to go. Yeah, and anyone who likes the city environment. New York is great for that. I'm just I like the country. You're more of a cat. Yeah, more of a country girl. Oh, totally. I, I would mean, definitely go for like a short period of time exactly but no longer than that i could do like a week well that's the whole thing a week yeah if you just spend just the christmas you know three or four days but see, i wouldn't want to go for christmas because there's going to be a ton of people i want to go like the off in november okay yeah but there's always a ton of people in new york yeah but there's more people at christmas we always plan to travel in the because everyone's shopping isn't there like just as many people in new york as there's a world of this country uh that's california if i remember correctly (laughs) but probably new york there's there's more people in california right there's more so i'm going to work this in i very seldom work in a lot of personal things oh yeah we we, barely know any 
anything about your birthday, Nancy. But I have a special tie to New York because <gasps> oh, there's a yes. department. She followed New York. The, the main department stores um, that people go to just to see the windows are Saks and Barney's. Mm-hmm. And Bergdorf Goodman. Bergdorf Goodman has been there forever and ever, and they are world-renowned for their Christmas windows. And their Christmas windows rise above the Santa Claus elf. They're beautiful museum installations. They are fabulous. They're like dreams. They're Mm -hmm. like aspirations. They're uh, they're fantastic. And it just so happens that the world-renowned man who puts these windows together who is the genius <laughs> the genius and I, and I understate this happens to be my son <laughs> and his his windows are all year long but it takes them a year to put mm-hmm. them together that's so insane everybody go google it go, go to google and google Bertdorf Goodman Holiday Windows 2019. Because you want to make sure you look at this year's because they are spectacular. Mm-hmm. So there we go. We have to move. Yes. We have to move on. But there's <laughs> there's a nice warm warm shout out and a and a fuzzy to my son David. By the way, the population of New York City stands at about 8.623 million people. So just a, just a few. That's people. just the people of New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I, you know, it's it's like you don't want to live there, but it, just to visit and mm-hmm. get the vibe is great. The second one I thought really wow, you know, was. Um, I'm seeing these pictures of these uh, Goodman windows there. Holy the, uh, shit! They're, yeah, they're in, wow, this is impressive. Oh yeah, the the first one that's called Good Times is animated, and it's like a pinball machine. It's fabulous. My God, this is art. Oh, I know. Holy, <laughs> I know. <laughs> You doubt? Would you doubt <laughs> well, my just... superlatives? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. My God. Okay, I know. I'm I a know. fan now. So, so, so here's the second one that I'm just wondering if you had a list that could go on forever, whether this would make anybody's mm-hmm. list. Malta. Where's Malta? The, exactly. Malta is. Um, is it warm? Well, it. Yeah. It, it's gross. It, it, it's uh, um. It, it, it's they have the more traditional nativity scenes, um, and they have like 150 actors that put on this Christmas pageant. I'm okay. I'll pass. Well, you know, a lot of people <laughs> don't want they don't want the glitz and glamour. Mm-hmm. They really want the more traditional. I like, just don't want. And if you're baby looking, Jesus shoved in my face. <laughs> yeah, this this isn't going to be your. <laughs> so no. we got two. We got two that are off your list. <laughs> But it's it's um, uh, it's a very traditional, mm-hmm. more quiet, and there are a lot of people that really would like to have that. So those of you look up Malta, mm-hmm. look up Christmas, and see if that might be something that you'd you'd enjoy. There are carolers singing. There's lights, um, and there's there a lot of snow? peace and goodwill, which it, it, which we could use. It has numerous fortresses, megalithic temples, and and hmm. yeah. But is there snow? I uh, probably not. Europe. I think there. I think there might be snow. Depends what part of Europe there. Snow. It's yeah. in the Mediterranean between Sicily okay, and I'll the North African one, coast. I'll give you one with snow. Okay. Yeah, Number yeah. three, Lapland, Finland. Yes, I will there go here. There we go. Snow. I will go here. Okay. 
They actually, you know, uh, people say that they think if there was an actual home for Santa Claus, that's where it would be that's in awesome. Lapland. It, and, and they're probably not not wrong at all because legend has it that the North Pole is the official home of Santa Claus, but it's out of reach. Mm-hmm. So Lapland is the place that you want to go if you. I will go to Lapland. Yeah, if you if you want to get that Santa Santa vibe. Anyway. Visiting Lapland at Christmas, they say, is a very magical experience for a family. It's north of the Arctic Circle, and supposedly there are elves, reindeer, snow, <laughs> gingerbread cookies, Father Christmas, all so of those cool. good things. And the nice and, thing is, it probably is a little more based in like the Nordic traditions. It's not going to mm. be as much like baby Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Baby polar bears, if you'd like baby polar bears. Northern Lights. Oh, the Northern Lights would oh. be there for And a hotel made of snow and ice. Now, okay, we're there. The hotel, so we're going, but I go for the uh, Northern we're, Lights. Are, we're, we're making reservations for next year. We'll do one night. La- one night in the hotel. So it's cold. Okay, yeah. Get your parkas and your, and your hats am, and your gloves. I'm good. Uh, like, my favorite temp. Negative fifteen is about as far as I'm comfortable. <laughs> Actually, it's warmer than you think it is in these ice hotels. Yeah. Yeah. Once you once it has a, a crust of ice on the inside there. It oh, actually very well, yeah, it's like an igloo. Yeah. So here's here's one that nobody ever. Well, I can't say nobody ever heard of. That's not really not a nice thing to say. But here's another out of the way place <laughs> to go: Chipping Camden in Gloucestershire, England. Now, why would you want to go there? Because it's again a very very traditional. It's like a Christmas card kind of a place and you really can't go wrong with going there it's very picturesque it's it's more of a village hmm. situated in the heart of Gloucestershire and you can go to an archaic church gathering there's I'll a pass. father christmas yep. there um <laughs> there's some old townhouses there's reindeer it's oh, a very cool. sweet and peaceful yeah. place to go so if you really like the courier at ives kind of christmas cards mm-hmm. You can make your your. Actually, it would be nice to kind of make a circle, wouldn't it? If you had enough money, just put all I, of these on a I list. I just stay in the Scandinavian countries. <laughs> yeah, great. This was a surprise, um, mostly because of of where this is, and you wouldn't necessarily put it on your Christmas list. But here it is, Nuremberg, Germany. What? Yeah, I know. I know it's, but in Nuremberg, even though it has a negative connotation, I think it's, it's World War II, because everyone, when they hear about the Nuremberg trials, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's the only thing people really know yeah. Nuremberg for. And so all these negative visions come mm-hmm. to mind. But Nuremberg happens to be where the German Christmas markets really are. they yeah, are and they're amazing. famous, and everything has to be handmade mm-hmm. there. Oh, is that so, like the biggest yeah. Christmas market in the world? There, yeah. there's one yeah. in Vancouver, and it's amazing. the The things there are just breathtaking. Yeah. Two million visitors every year to Nuremberg. So they've overcome the negativity mm-hmm. and found out that there are, you know, there's a lot of positive things about that town that, that people have been overlooking. They have a giant wooden Ferris wheel, steam train, oh, um, traditional carousel. So um, oh, that, that may be, be someplace so to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while you're there, take the train to Vienna, Austria. <gasps> Yes. There okay, I love Vienna. Oh, have you been? I have not, but it's on my bucket list. It, that, Specifically there? for the um, horses. Uh-huh. This is where they found the vibrating dildo last week, right? Yeah. So I have no idea. House? Well, it wasn't us. No, no, it wasn't <laughs> us. I've never been there. 
for a lot of people, this is kind of the ultimate for a lot of reasons. It's cultural. Austria itself concerts, is just gorgeous. And the architecture, mm-hmm. a lot of decorations. So it's an excellent choice. The food is supposed to be fabulous. So yeah. Yeah. Austria is gorgeous. So would, if you went to Vienna, would you go to Nuremberg or would you yeah. put both no, of Yeah, no, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we're getting down the list. Here's another one for you for snow. Yeah. Reykjavik, I- Iceland. <gasps> yes, Reykjavik. Yeah, you're ready to go there. So yes, so- it's Iceland. It's of I- course. That's right. You go. It's like the number two democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people they they elected someone in the pirate party. <laughs> ah, which is a good. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. So they um, they off the top don't attract a zillion visitors. So they go out of their way, mm-hmm. you know, to to attract people. They do some of the different things for the tourists. They have, believe it or not, thirteen scruffy Santas. That's awesome. <laughs> because they have thirteen nights rather than the twelve days of Christmas. Yeah, they have thirteen. That's wonderful. And uh, they have oodles of snow, Christmas lights, bewitching aurora borealis. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going yeah. to yep. right, okay. Iceland, we're going there. hands okay. down, one of the best destinations. Okay, so yeah. while we're in Iceland, let's plan the trip plane to trip to Amsterdam. Oh, <gasps> yeah, that would be that would be a good double. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a jump. Not really. Uh-huh. It's the same hemisphere. Well. They. <laughs> <laughs> They have Sinterklaas, which was like a Santa mm-hmm. Claus, but it's their version. And they come. Uh, Sinterklaas goes on the on the December fi- on December fifth. So we've missed that. We need to do this next year, mm-hmm. and that's part of what the Dutch call a two part Christmas. So they have the toys and gifts on the fifth, mm-hmm. and then they have food on the twenty fifth. Yeah. So we could still make it for the big meal, but we've missed the gifts. So mm-hmm. let's plan this. Just just be do. careful if you don't like blackface. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they have a bit of that. <laughs> so if you want, after all of this, this this was surprising to me that this was listed as a place where you could go for a peaceful and quiet Christmas, Rome. Hmm, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they say that Rome, they don't like the huge, big um, celebrations, the over-the-top kinds of things. They, they more have um, midnight mass, uh, in the Parthenon, and that's more mm-hmm. of a religious yeah, you know, feeling. See, for me, that would be too too religiousy. I yeah. would not be mm-hmm. okay with that. Actually, but a lot of people, that's, yeah, what, no, totally. that's what they look Actually, for. all of Italy right now, the entire country as a whole, is um, having a bit of a problem with tourists altogether. They've had so much tourism in this country that now the locals are starting to say, enough is enough. We're, hmm. we're tired of all these tourists barging in all over the place all the time, all year long. So Fair. it seems the entire country of Italy right now is basically saying, "Yeah, you know what? Tone it down, guys. We want yeah. we want some peace and quiet." Yeah. To be fair, they have a lot of great architecture. Yeah. Oh, of course. So last on the list, if you really don't want traditional, you don't like the snow, Gross. you hate reindeer, head to Bondi Beach, Australia, where it's sunny and warm, and you can go down to the beach and get some sun surf and Barbie. Uh, the barbie. Okay, that is fair. That's I personally fair. would rather go to New Zealand. New Zealand? But you could, yes. we could do that too. Because they have just nice beaches. Okay, maybe not as nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've Australia got, would be a good Australia. one to do yeah. a short. I'm surprised there was no Canada destination that list. Why? Well, we are okay. the land of Santa Claus. But we think well, we've done, think we've about done the top ten. We've done top ten in, in Canada before. Yeah. So but when you actually like, think about all of our 
northern cities, they're not very populated. The only no, 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 like big Christmas thing is like on Quebec or on Quebec City. Quebec, Quebec City. City. Great yeah, for Christmas, Christmas is fantastic. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And well, uh, like the carnival in February, it's like mm-hmm. fantastic. That's when not really Christmas. The, when you make no. the big bucks, you can fly us all out there, okay? Exactly. Yes, I, I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so far behind, I'll never catch up. Oh. All right. Thank you so much, Nancy. My dear Kirsten, you have another brilliant moment for us? I do. Brought to you by religion. Okay, so this actually takes place or happened in uh, Hamilton, Ontario. Oh, Canadian story. <laughs> yes, I know. So, a devoutly religious Hamilton woman who kept her husband's decomposing corpse in a bedroom for six months because she was convinced he would come back to life has pleaded guilty to failing to notify authorities of his death from an illness that he was not getting treatment for. Ew. (laughs) I hate people sometimes. (laughs) This is your brain on religion. (laughs) So, so her husband dies and she just... Leaves him on the bed because one day he'll resurrect. Yeah, yeah, so, that makes sense. Kaling so Wall was originally facing criminal charges of neglect of duty regarding a dead body and offering an indignity to a body, which could have carried a sentence of up to five years in jail. Um, those were withdrawn and replaced by a charge under the Coroner's Act, and she received a suspended st- sentence and eighteen months probation with counseling. That's good. Yeah. That's actually probably really good because obviously she's suffering from some mental issues that counseling should help with. Yeah, which I, that makes me really happy. Because jail, especially f- like most well, jail no, sentences, it's not are like she harmed punitive. Any, anything, yeah, it's not like she harmed. And they're any, not actually yeah. like re- like they don't help you. It's one of those things yeah. you don't really think about because you know most of the time when you encounter death. It's because you, the person is dying or something like that. You're trying to save their life. Mm-hmm. So you're calling 911, yep. blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. if uh, you know if Nancy was to kill me, something like that, I'm hoping you guys would call 911. Yeah, it depends. It depends. <laughs> you know, might, might just wait till he actually bleeds out first and then call. <laughs> but, you know, this, this is how you encounter death. But it, it takes something kind of special for you to basically have a dead body and not do anything, not tell anybody, or and just yeah. leave it there, right? Well, a summary read in court says Wald told police her husband, Peter, suffered diabetes, but refused to seek treatment when his foot became infected. Oof. Believing God would cure him. Exactly. Wald told them he went into a coma sometime in March and died before the end of the month. According to the summary, Wald said she and her five children, who are between 11 and 22 oh, years no. old, are devout Christians and thought Peter would be resurrected and therefore kept the door locked and waited for him to come to life. Oh, God. She, her children, and their seven housemates prayed daily for him to live again. I'm oh. sorry. What? Seven housemates. Uh, Wald locked the door to keep the children out, as well as duct taped the door seams and vents throughout the house to keep the smell out. The Crown Summary reads. Oh, that's oh. so sad. Um, authorities only learned what had happened in September when they came to evict the couple who had defaulted on their mortgage. No, the funny thing is, is okay, let's say, for example, you're, you're a religious wacko like that, and what goes through your mind, right? This, this is my question, you know. It's not like you see resurrection happening ever, aside, aside yeah. in myth, right? It uh, depends what church you're going to. Well, doesn't, well, which church can actually boast of resurrecting yeah, something? Yeah, but they can fake it. Yeah, well, okay. You'd have to be pretty good. Wait, 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 wait. These people 
were delusional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no they they there was no reality. How, there was no much, logical thinking about when a resurrection might have happened. And how, they much, were, how much of a time period was she she given herself here? Let's wait a year. Let's wait three yeah. months. How much of a time? Rapture. No. I just feel. <laughs> Bad about the children. Oh yeah, that's what got me. It's it was the, the kids. No, yeah. if you, you prayed a whole week and the person hasn't come back to life. You think, hey, at that point, he might not be coming back to life. You know? Yeah. That's really sad. That's really, yeah. That one was pretty sad. It but, doesn't. Does it say what happened to the children or the family? It doesn't. No. Um, the police interviewed two of the couple's children yeah. and a few of the roommates, and they all said that they believed that he would be resurrected. So that was. Yeah. So it's not even just the family. There's some roommates there too. Yeah. Wow, these people are seriously, it's, seriously. I wonder if they were like part of a cult or something. Maybe. Yeah, I'm starting to think so. Might be the beginning of a cult, right? Yeah. Like just in the infancy of the, the, the yeah. thing. Well, you can get cults where people are more spread out, but it, like, yeah, who knows? That's that's really sad. It is. I don't know. It sounds like they were kind of isolated. Five children, seven housemates. Yeah. If they were part of a cult, you'd think maybe somebody would have. You know, I don't know. Call yeah, the authority. Maybe I don't know. It's really, it's really hard. It just, it's horrific. Yeah. Anyways, on a slightly happier note, moving Yay. on to the next story, <laughs> and this one will get a kick. Everyone should find this hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, the Comox Valley Record, a local newspaper in BC, oh fun, posted an advertisement for the city's upcoming Christmas parade with a rather noticeable typo. Oh my God! I'm excited. <laughs> If you arrive at 11.15, you can have your picture taken with Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do it. Love it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it gets better. Tim Skippy Miller decided it was a perfect opportunity to have a little fun while making sure all the visitors got exactly what they came for. <laughs> so he put on a red suit and a red hat and a red face and made himself available to anyone who wanted a picture. Oh, I'd so no. get a Brilliant. 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 Now that is how you celebrate the birth of Christ. Yeah. Someone give that man a medal so he can burn it. Oh my God. Now, Miller wasn't actually allowed to be in the parade. So all of these pictures that you see, and there's a lot of them, uh, are outside the peer view of the actual event, but still, I think that they should make this an annual tradition as well. <laughs> I think, didn't the Satanic Temple um, participate in that? The good guys, not the temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd, be, that'd be so hilarious. I, I yeah. You know, sometimes I think we should pull pull that kind of prank right here in Abbotsford. Like, Just dress up, go by each other, take a free picture, or or dress yourself up as Satan, like with the big horns and everything, uh, with a shirt that says free hogs or something like that. Right. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't do Satan, I'd do Lilith. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. Fine. But you know, I, th- I think. But no, someone point. could be Satan, and then I can be Lilith, and then you can like get a few like someone can be Beelzebub, <laughs> and just get a whole group of us, <laughs> one big happy family. Can you imagine showing up at a church? Oh, oh no! I think that'd be great. Oh, I'd no. be a little bit scared. <laughs> we have we have a year to prepare. Good. So have to choose wisely. So which... so essentially, the story is instead of writing Santa, they wrote Satan. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what they did, and I'm like. And let's face it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The jolly uh, jolly fat man is great, but Satan is be more of an interesting interview. If you ask mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> Oh, awesome! Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, they, that was a, that was a good story to end on. Yes, yes <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was a lot better of fun. than the other oh, morbid one. Yeah, Perfect. I was like, I was like, I need something a little happier to end on <laughs> yeah. here today. So, so let's take a quick pause, and when we come back, we'll have Doctor Del Rey Yay. and Doctor Winnell 
joining us. I'm so excited. So stay with us. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. In a world torn apart by a lack of reason. Or and I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. years, this old man had taught us and he had believed. He believed that the Golgi apparatus was an artifact. He thought it didn't exist. And then one day, an American cell biologist came and gave a public lecture in our department in which he demonstrated beyond all possible doubt that the Golgi apparatus was real. Our old man strode to the front of the lecture hall, shook him by the hand and said, my dear fellow, I wish to thank you. I have been wrong these 15 years. And all of us applauded till our hands were red. And none of us will ever have forgotten that incident. That is science at its best. That's the very opposite of faith. Wynell, she's a psychologist and an author, and of course our returning champion, the all-so-awesome Dr. Del Rey. They're both snappy dressers and snazzy dancers. Doctors with an S, welcome to Left of the Valley. <laughs> Thank you. Again, guys. <laughs> Doctors, I guess I'll start with Dr. Wynell. Maybe you'll be so kind for our audience to give us a quick bio as to who you are. Well, uh, in my old age here, there's a lot I could share. Um, I've been a psychologist for many years and working in the area of uh, religious trauma, religious harm, for about 25, 30 years. Um, I was a missionary kid, grew up in Taiwan, born in Hong Kong. I'm an import. Um, my parents were missionaries with the Assemblies of God mission, and then I also became a very zealous Christian myself as a teenager especially, and then when I was 16 we moved to Southern California during the Jesus movement, so uh, that was 
something I thought was pretty cool, gotten into that, baptizing people at the beach and um, witnessing uh, on the beach and door-to-door. And, and then, actually, there was one trip I made with a group called YWAM up to San Francisco and in Golden Gate Park, walking around supposedly telling people about Jesus, I started talking to this guy who said he was Jesus. Oh. And, 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 and that kind of blew me away. I didn't know where to go with that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, a, a lot of things in my life at that time were kind of shaking up my, my belief system and realizing that there were a lot of other worldviews out there. And then went to college, found out even more about science and psychology, and also the Bible. Just started questioning whether the Bible was the Word of God, and that that was a big chink in the armor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and dissatisfactions with the church and so forth. And then finding out that there were other people in the world that weren't necessarily crazy or stupid or or evil that were living pretty good lives. And so just gradually started moving away from my belief system, um, graduated college, studied psychology more, became a psychologist and ended up writing a paper just for my own my own clarity about what the impact is of, of growing up in a fundamentalist kind of environment, what that does to you. Um, in your psychological health. And it ended up being a paper that I gave at the American Psychological Association in New York. And things just kind of escalated from there. And, and I ended up writing this book, Re- Leaving the Fold, um, a guide for former fundamentalists and others leaving their religion, which I'm, I'm working on a second edition now because there are some missing chapters. Um, yeah, I don't know if that brings us up to date. I do other things. I'm a photographer. Um, I like swimming, dancing. I don't know what else you want to know. <laughs> long walks on the beach, nice yeah. romantic moments, a bottle of champagne. <laughs> now, that yeah. Jesus fellow you met, was he a Mexican carpenter by any chance? <laughs> I've, got, I've got the same guy. His name is Jesus. So like, oh, just just yeah. kidding. Yeah. And, of course, we also have our returning champion, the always amazing Dr. Del Rey. Dr. Ray, same question. Quick bio about yourself as well, if you'd be so kind, sir. Uh, well, I'm a psychologist as well, but I haven't been doing the religious trauma stuff nearly as long as Marlene and don't have nearly the depth of knowledge. So I don't even know why you have have me on here, but I will I will uh, assuage you and let you have me today. <laughs> we just like your presence. Marlene is the world champion in this stuff. In fact, we wouldn't be talking here today if it hadn't been for her. And uh, I'm founder of Recovering from Religion mm-hmm. back in 2009. It was shortly after 2009 I found out about Marlene and read her book and started recommending it. And before you know it, I'm seeing hundreds of people uh, recommending it or saying they've read it. And, you know, that book has had a huge impact on people leaving the fold. I'm glad to hear you're uh, working on a second edition, Marlene. Yeah. Looking forward to, to seeing that. But I, I run, I help run with, uh, with the board of directors uh, in Gail Jordan, the Recover from Religion. Uh, organization and the secular therapy uh, secular therapy program of which Marlene is a member and has been for quite a while. Nice. Marlene, you were one of the early early adopters, I, I believe. Yeah. And, and we'll have so the pleasure that, of having both of you guys come up here in Vancouver in April for a conference. Uh, we might as well plug this and get this out of the way. What can you guys tell us about this conference coming up? Go ahead, Marlene. 
Oh, it's it's called uh, Conference on Religious Trauma. You can go to court2020, court2020.com, and see all about it and and um, register. Um, yes, it's going to have quite a lot of uh, uh, people in the way of speakers and also workshops. It's especially geared towards other helping professionals that want to know more about how to uh, help people with these issues, whether they're therapists or just uh, volunteers or anybody in this area. We're trying to raise consciousness about the fact that religious can do some serious harm and and uh, we shouldn't be ignoring it anymore. And Marlene, what part are you playing in the conference? Oh, I'm one of the keynote speakers. I'll be talking on Friday night, the first night, and um, also doing a workshop. What's what? Uh, what's the um, what's the 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 topic? You're, you're, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what are you? What what is the keynote speak on? Um, it'll be on religious trauma syndrome. Why? What it is, and what some what some uh, strategies are for treating it, and why we need to take it seriously. Oh, yes. oh, wonderful. For for people who may not be able to attend, will there be a transcript or a video that will be distributed afterwards so you really get the largest possible audience because it's such an important topic? Yes. Yeah, um, they're going to videotape the whole conference, I oh, believe. Terrific. At least awesome. at Perfect. Talks. Yeah, and then we're also doing uh, workshops, and um, I'll be doing a, a, a workshop that will be uh, very uh, participatory for people that feel like they they do need to do some healing, you know what that might consist of, and and especially uh, therapists that say it seems like a lot of the therapists that are interested in this topic are also people that have been through some of it themselves. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'm I'm sort of doing both at the same time. People are experiencing some of the um, some of the activities or and and, and discussions that are for people that are, are in the midst of recovering, but also learning things that they can do with their own clients. And this is true for my upcoming retreat, which is in January. It's a three-day retreat for people that want to spend um, some time. To, uh, it's a small group, like 15, pe- 15 participants, and we spend a very intensive three days together doing all these things. Um, and that's that's coming up in January here in the Bay Area. Perfect. Do you do, you do that every year? Is this a, a an annual uh, retreat? Um, it's turned it's turned into biannual. I'm doing it uh, like a couple times a year, and sometimes um, having a, a theme like uh, we, we've got advanced retreats sometimes too, where we focus on things like pleasure and sexuality, uh, but. But the first level retreat is what we're doing in January, which is your, which is basic um, healing from the worst of the trauma and, and learning some self-care and steps towards handling things like panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so, Dr. Wynell, hopefully you'll send out all these, these links so we can put them in the notes of the show for our audience. And hopefully we can mm-hmm. help spread the word out for you guys, to, for your, your conference, your retreat, and the conference, Court 2020. Mm-hmm. And you guys might not know this, but we're actually the opening act for Dr. Wynell. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I think that humor really is super important. And we, I mean, we have a lot of fun at these retreats, for example. Um, we end up having da- spontaneous dance parties and whatnot. Oh, I can so see Daryl there. 
and so and we go out too like on a saturday night we'll find something to do out, out in the community like last time we went to a drag show which was great fun nice. Nice. <laughs> so in this conversation i think it might be really important for our audience could you kind of give a description of what religious trauma is and how how it can the affect you throughout your life uh-huh okay sure um well one thing to to understand right away is that uh children are are indoctrinated at a young age mm -hmm. and most people that are that are uh religious and i mean um seriously really <laughs> put it um seriously religious in that they were raised in churches that were authoritarian in some way and um, they they had to conform. They had to uh, not think for themselves or respect their own feelings, or and they had to look for God's will instead of making their own decisions. Um, so there are the various areas of, of of harm, and and children at a young age are taught a couple of doctrines that I think are the most pernicious. Uh, one is the, the doctrine of of hell and damnation. Mm -hmm. Generally, learning to be very, very afraid. Okay, and this is before children even have the cognitively cognitive ability to process any of this information. You know, mm -hmm. they we we're not our brains are not fully developed until our early twenties. Explains a lot about teenagers, I know. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> but small children, you know. The, it, Teaching them about God and Jesus and all that is the same as uh, Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. They'll take it all in and believe it, right? Mm -hmm. Because their their sense of reality is actually quite different. Um, Christians don't really want to acknowledge that. But anyway, they can develop a, a intense fears that are lodged, you know, right in the brain and in, in the amygdala, uh, where these images. And by the way, images are much more closely associated with our our feelings than words are mm -hmm. you know, so you teach uh, something like help fire the notion of fire i have a client who's like in his 40s and if he burns his finger taking a pizza out of the oven he'll have a panic attack you know it's and and we have worked together for a long time and it's just a constant struggle because these things are physiological and your body holds these uh these memories these traumas so anyway, there's there's uh, fear, and then the second thing is um, self degradation. You're taught that you're basically bad and wrong from birth, mm. right? And and then even if you get saved, there's no guarantee. You know, from whatever theological point of view you look at, um, you're, you're still always afraid that you're not good enough. You know. Yeah. Uh, you may, if it's once saved, always saved, that one point of view. You don't know whether you were really genuinely saved. People talk about getting saved hundreds of times, you know, because they're not sure it took. And so you're always afraid that you're not good enough. And this is another thing that can last into adulthood mm -hmm. and be very, very difficult to work with. And so I have, I mean, there are lots of other uh areas of damage but these two areas of damage are are probably the most difficult to treat i don't know if daryl you'll agree with me um agree. But, but then but then there are also there's also sexual damage you know as this is part of the self-degradation 
and and uh, inability to enjoy the world. The world is a bad, evil place. You can never relax and just enjoy your life. Um, you also have developmental deficits. You haven't learned social skills. You have to relate normally in in relationships to other people. Um, you, you you have trouble with critical thinking. You have trouble processing and regulating your own emotions. Um, things that you don't have the kind of curiosity that should be encouraged in children and, and self-respect and, and confidence. All these things are, are secondary in a religious household or in a religious mm-hmm. church or school. All these things are secondary to conforming to the dogma mm-hmm. and, and conforming to the uh, people that have the power. And so, you know, it's anything but empowering. So I would say that central to my approach in in therapy and in, in coaching is is empowerment, you know, to help people realize that not only are they okay, but they have uh, inner resources that are right there. You don't have to you don't have to outsource. You don't have to look outside yourself for your own inner wisdom and strength and and love and. Um, you know, these are things that, that we develop with our own intuitions and our own experience in life. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a big discovery process and can be pretty exciting. Yes, and I think you bring out a very good point. And, of course, I'm going to switch that to Dr. Daryl Ray here, of course, who's a psychologist, uh, psychologist in human sexuality. You talk about sexual development. And, of course, it's a big part of our lives, whether we want it or not. We are sexual beings. And uh, Dr. Ray... Uh, what symptoms do you see in the, the average person that has been re- religiously traumatized as their sexual development occurs? Is, is there like factors that you can pinpoint very easily or how, how, how do you approach these kind of people? Well, I think you have to go back to kind of where Marlene started. It, developmental, people go through developmental stages. I mean, we all know, we everybody knows what, or most people, if you're a parent, know what we mean by the terrible twos. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to say terrible twos or teenager. And, you know, we kind of have a stereotype of what those ages, what children are behaving like and what they're going through at those times. Now, they are a stereotype. They're Not every kid goes through it in exactly the same way or at the same speed. But what those things are telling us is there's developmental stages happening. And as Marlene said, our brains aren't even finished developing until the early 20s. And, and a little longer for males than for females as well. So it's, there's these stages are happening even as children are being abused uh, by their high control environments. And it's not just religion. It can be, a, there's a lot of different kinds of high control environments that children can be brought up in. So one of those things that's happening at two and seven years old and 12 years old is sex, sex sexuality. You're learning to connect with your body your your hormones are flowing so but at that very same time you're being told your body's your enemy and masturbation is the devil speaking to you and all those sort of things that Marlene already kind of mentioned well that carries right on into adulthood Mm -hmm. it's hard you don't just get over that shit instantly Mm -hmm. and it takes another it it takes outside help oftentimes to get you there so what what I see and what we at Recover from Religion see a lot is People who are developmentally stunted. I mean, people who say, uh, "I every time I masturbate, I feel guilty as hell, even though I'm not a Christian anymore, even though I've left. And I think, and I feel like I'm going to hell because I masturbated. Or 
if I fantasize about a movie star, you know, any these are basic things that a normal adult will engage in without any guilt. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. there's people that are paralyzed and, and just can't get over it. And, and they're in their 20s, 30s, even even much older. Um, it's, it's pretty insidious how high control environments affect people's sexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so when, when we are saying, you know, like uh, Richard Dawkins was equipped qu- qu- that, you know, uh, teaching children uh, the idea of hell is child abuse. You guys would essentially agree with what Dr. Dawkins said at the time. Uh, No, not only yes, but hell yes. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And and it's, it's interesting that uh, our religion gets a pass on this because Mm -hmm. sometimes it shows up Uh, years ago. I, there was this article um, (laughs) that, that, that made it around, this story about a little kid that was sitting in front of his house in his his the yard of his house and he was was a very small kid like four years old maybe and he was he had a sign around his neck that said in big letters i'm a pig and his parents were punishing him by making him sit outside with this sign And the community was just up in arms because they thought it was abuse. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it went to court. And and the parents were charged with, uh, I don't remember exactly what the charge was, but it was around, along the lines of child abuse. And that just struck me as, you know, this happens all the time, right? It does. Every day. It just about and happened to me myself, actually. And 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 we should be just as outraged, you know. Wouldn't it be something if you could take parents to court for teaching their kids about hell? Hmm. Well, I, I we have another angle that kind of picks up on that that very same thing that Merlene's talking about. There, religion gets a pass in so many ways, and what we're seeing, and the reason why we wanted to be from a cover religion and the secular therapy project, we wanted to be in, involved in this conference is because we see religious abuse all the time and we see counselors who are not properly trained and counselors who are scared shitless of bringing up religion as a root cause Mm -hmm. of trauma. So Uh we wanna challenge, in fact, the title of my talk is gonna be, um, I reserve the right to change it, but. (laughs) 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 Putting religious abuse on the map I want to put religious abuse on the map in several different ways. I want people to recognize that certain religious practices are abusive under any under any definition, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. counselors should not be avoiding or uh, or ignoring the it. And and we should be teaching people in graduate schools that are putting out master's level and PhD level people how how to deal with this kind of stuff and not avoid it. And let me give you a great example. The American Counseling Association, for example, has ethical standards against discrimination on LGBTQ issues. So if somebody comes into my office and I'm a member of the American Counseling Association, I have to maintain a professional attitude towards that person. Mm -hmm. But the schools that are actually training these people, for example, Regents University, Liberty University, Oh. Other universities that are religious, 
are getting a pass, they will not hire LGBTQ professors. And they're teaching people in their theology that gay people are going to hell, and yet they're graduating therapists to go out and help gay people. Yeah. That's And, and the, the American Council Association is turning a blind eye to this. Nobody is challenging them. And I'm telling you, that's our next thing. I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Marlene about this, but Marlene, that's our next... Um, we, we've actually bring, brought a, a new team on just to challenge academia about this very thing. Let's stop ignoring the, the nice. damage that it does. The other thing that happens in, in uh, counselor training programs is that religion gets folded in with diversity. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. And so they are explicitly taught to respect people's beliefs quote unquote right and so um, whatever the and so the religion is just considered like a cultural diversity mm-hmm. and you're, you're supposed to be hugely respectful and what and 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 when you see any training at all it might be something along the lines of helping this person use their religion in a more benign way you know like to see God as a more loving God I was at a uh, conference on psychology and religion in Italy and all, there were all these talks about psychology and religion, and some of them were like that, you know, how to help people be more religious in a more healthy way. And I was the only one at this whole huge conference that said anything negative about religion. Hmm. And it was just amazing. And so that's how it, that's the state of affairs in most counselor training programs. And yet at the same time, I get mail constantly from graduate students asking for training because you know it's getting out there that we have some problems to deal with too yeah i think you've uh, you bring a very good point i yeah. think religion masquerades as culture all the time and i think i think it's what keeps most people quiet because if you're questioning the religion or challenging the religion you're challenging the culture and therefore yeah. you're challenging the identity of the person and that's a big no yeah yeah and that's gotten to be a big controversy right with with islam and then wearing the hijab for example yeah and uh, so yeah yasmin muhammad is one of our speakers actually which is pretty exciting she'll talk about um issues related to islam is 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 it's, it's just amazing because I was I was seeing just the, the other day they they were doing the pictures of uh, women that were um putting on the veil as a, as a, as a show of solidarity with other women in the Islamic world. I'm saying you're not really showing solidarity there by putting on the the, the hijab. You see, you're kind of no. acknowledging the oppression you know that's happening to these women, and it's like it's like yeah. people don't seem to understand that. Yeah, it's all it, the issues are all just confused and together. Is is yeah. there? In, oh, sorry, Daryl, you were about to say something. Sorry, you you cannot la- allow religion to identify as the culture. I mean, that's why I when I wrote my book, The God Virus, I subtitled it "How Religion Infects Our Lives and Culture." Li- religions are always trying to take over cultures, just like the measles comes and tries to take over your body. And, <laughs> and religion once it it literally infects the culture. And then once it does, it can then act as if it is the culture. And you can't separate the two. I mean, how would you separate Islam from Saudi Arabian culture now? Yes, and that's true. See, in the United States, we're seeing, we're seeing evangelical cult, uh, religion trying to say we're a Christian nation. They're trying to infect and force um, 
a total identity with who we are. And it's just, it's what every religion, every patriarchal religion on the planet does. There are religions that don't try that, but all the patriarchal religions do. Now, in, uh, in, your, in your experience, doctors, if I may ask, is there is there a religion that is worse, or is there one that's really... I mean, I know, I know the vast majority of the people you meet are probably Christians and all that, but is there really a religion that you feel is actually worse for traumatizing people at a young age? At some point, well, every religion is worse. I mean, think about Christianity in the 1200s. It probably was as bad or worse than Islam. Uh, Hinduism right now is incredibly horrible on women right now and children mm-hmm. so I, I don't know any was it, it it depends on what phase of history you talk about that's a good point and of course, of course well, there are religions that aren't oppressive and those are mainly the non-patriarchal religions well it, in in islam it, the the punishment for leaving is is death so that's uh why um People on in groups or or, or uh, websites where they're trying to provide support for each other for leaving have to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. They have to be very very careful. So I'd say that's pretty severe. But the other thing that that is important to talk about, and um, I mean, I've stayed pretty much uh, with a a personal focus on helping people. But but if we look at our our country and see that. Um, the evangelicals, for example, because I, I wrote an article about this. I think it's on on Salon or Slate. I don't know. Comparing Trump with uh, the patriarchal God of the Old Testament, hmm. and you know, because if that's the standard, you know, like might is right. I ended up just making these comparisons point by point, and there ended up being about ten or fifteen. Uh, it was amazing. Anyway, it's, it's online. You can read it. Mm-hmm. But you know, if, if we have these really in in, in certain um, fundamentalist portions of our of our Christian culture, if we have these extreme ideals of what's good, you know, something's good because God said so, and and if God said so, then it's good. You know, it's a crazy morality in in the Old Testament, and so now we have this total immorality in this. Uh, blind support for Trump, and uh, it's it's going to happen again. I mean, it's it's scary. Even though we've got this whole impeachment thing going on, um, fundamentalists or evangelicals are sticking with him. Yeah, and and I and I think that needs to be addressed because it's it's important to absolutely everyone. Not in fact, not just our country. Right, it affects the whole world. And it's not just a personal trauma that somebody is trying to get over. It's a trauma to the to the whole nation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so doctors, what would you recommend for 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 people to? Are there particular signs for the average atheist out there to recognize when a person has been traumatized like that by religion? Is there anything that's in their demeanor that we can really look at that basically help us recognize the the the, the pain they're in? Yes, yes, there are. It, it's actually a pretty simple concept if you want to even go go look at it. It's called uh, adverse childhood experiences, and you can actually yeah. take a little test and get kind of an approximation of how much you yourself experienced. Uh, I think the Ameri- uh, the um, 
Centers for Disease Control has a, a little survey you can take. Mm-hmm. What what the research is showing, and, and I'm not an expert in this area. I'm not going to put myself out. Marlene may have more stuff than I know about it. But what the research seems to show is if you have a certain number of adverse childhood experiences and you don't have any mitigating circumstances around those experiences, then you're going to show symptomatology as an adult. You're, you're, you're very likely to show symptomatology as an adult. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one way. You can literally get some, some somewhat objective understanding of how much adverse childhood experience, how many of those you had. I think, Marlene, the, the criteria is usually three, a child has had three of those will probably exhibit some kind of symptomatology. You want to, I don't know, I'll let you talk about this. You're more of an expert than I am on that. What's your uh, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, the, the ACE test. Um, but I don't remember how, I don't remember the scoring, frankly. Um, but But I think even just looking at the test, the test doesn't even include enough of uh, the religious side because that isn't recognized enough. I just had some trauma training. Oh, I've had two trauma training sessions with experts in the field. And and what I like to do whenever I go to trainings um, in psychology is talk to the, the, the teacher and see what they think about how it applies to religious trauma. And... Even in this last time, it was just a couple months ago, I was with um, Eric Gentry, who's written a book about this and is very famous. And also when I was with Bessel van der Kolk, I asked him about religious trauma, and they give me this blank look. Like they don't know what I'm talking about. The only And the only thing they can think of is abuse in the Catholic Church with priests. Mm-hmm. That's what people think of when they don't know anything about mm-hmm. it. That's what they think of as religious trauma, you know. And um, in, in this case, I mean, the the conversation really didn't go anywhere because there just isn't that consciousness, and um, it's not really it's not not really showing up well enough on the on on the um, the ACE test. Mm-hmm. But I think your question was also, how do you know when somebody as an adult seems to be, have been dramatized by their religion? I think that you can um, notice, well, well, certainly you can have um, symptoms of depression and anxiety, and, and you know, you, you, people can get misdiagnosed in a lot of ways, like having bipolar or, or PTSD. Um, this is actually a form of, of complex PTSD. And so... When people have um, anxiety attacks, when they can't enjoy their life at all, when the, they, they use black and white thinking all the time, and they have a lot of uh, uh, they have a lot of fear, and they also have just a terrible sense of self. You know, there are things that you can notice and wonder. Oh, and this is something like Daryl. I'm sure you're totally aware of all of the history of of CBT, but 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 CB cognitive behavioral therapy will ask people to question basic assumptions they have, mm-hmm. basic ideas, like um, like I I can never a, a basic assumption might be um, it could be I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad, or I can't I can't succeed at anything, mm-hmm. 
And, and what you try to do is you try to help them think a different thought, which then produces a different feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Albert Ellis came up with um, these, uh, a list of typical irrational ideas that people have. And what's amazing is that all of these different studies of irrational thinking um, never do much in the way of tracing them to any origins. Huh. You know? And as if, you know, our, as if we just come up with these terrible ideas mm-hmm. on our own. I actually, you know I, what I, mean? I totally agree with you. I well, two things. Going back to what you said about AIDS, I the total lack of any mention of religiosity and religious abuse is a glaring is, is a glaring hole in that whole, mm-hmm. that whole theory, so to speak. But but more and more importantly, uh, from what you were you were just saying, I was trained by Albert Ellis. He was a massive atheist. And he would challenge people's own basic religious beliefs, but his students wouldn't. And Aaron Beck comes along, and he's a he's a great follower and developer of CBT as well. And he wouldn't cho- uh, challenge religious beliefs. I'm an atheist today, largely because of Albert Ellis. Largely because the questions he forced me to ask made me get down to some pretty basics. And that's what I don't see in CBD training. I totally agree with you on this, Merlin. Therapists are being trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, but they are not being taught how do you challenge religious, under underlying religious beliefs. I mean, those beliefs are far more powerful sometimes than what you ever get to otherwise. And I think there are techniques that can be taught to CBT therapists, and I think there are. I'm, I'm not going to mm-hmm. go into detail about that. So I, I kind of agree with you on that. I think we need much better training for how to deal with religious delusions that people come into the office with. Now, that's an interesting question because it seems to me that if if the field of psychology, for example, was to be presented with a case of somebody who was traumatized because he or she believes he's abducted by aliens, I think the field would essentially turn around eventually and have him or her confront the idea of alien abduction. So why isn't the field of psychology doing the same thing right now for religion? Or is it heading that way? No, it's not hanging that way yet. We're going to make it, though. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's because it's so big, basically. It's, it's the, these ideas are so pervasive in the culture. I mean, if, you were, if we were back in the Dark Ages and everybody thought that the world was flat, um, that would be normal, right? And even though it's completely wrong. And so it's, it would be pretty hard to challenge it. Mm-hmm. And even people that... Um, that get it that the world is round are in this constant struggle to ma- maintain what they know about the world uh, when they're surrounded by people that th- that think it's flat and and so the whole world needs to go through this paradigm shift which it did you know we had the Copernican revolution mm-hmm. and I, I wrote a paper about this paradigm shift idea because um, personally we go through a paradigm shift when we when we leave religion right mm-hmm. we question like basic basic assumptions about reality mm-hmm. and then and our whole world is turned upside down because religion dictates what you think about yourself about other people about the world about the future about the afterlife everything immorality um and so if you're going to overturn everything you basically have to have a completely new worldview, and it's a it's a paradigm shift 
and and at the same time we ha- we live in a culture that is still in the throes of a a um, massive cultural paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, there's still a lot of supernatural uh, belief going on, right? Yeah. I mean, we still yeah. have we still have exorcisms in this country. We have people saying things like everything happens for a reason. Um, we have people, massive numbers of people, questioning evolution and affecting our school system that way we have a cult we have a a a, a justice system that's based on revenge yeah and you know it it's something that's just so massive we're still firmly uh having one foot planted in the dark ages and i mean you go you drive along and you'll see a billboard that says are you ready for hell <laughs> in giant letters I mean, there's one like that right outside Chicago. I have a client that has to divert her route to work because it it it, it puts her in a panic every time. Understand? I mean, that, that should be illegal. Wow. I mean, I always thought the United States were one step away from becoming a theocracy, but <laughs> it sounds more and more every yeah. time I, I I hear these kind of things. Marlene <laughs> and the Kansas. That's the billboard on every other street. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're in the thick of it, <laughs> that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all over, and, and, and it's it's insidious, and it's it's not right. I think that, um, I mean, when, when this was going on, I was trying to think of, uh, you know, a legal way of challenging it. But, you know, even our legal system is, it, it's what? It's adversarial. It's right and wrong. Guilty or not guilty. We have patterns of, uh, uh, you know, patterns of thinking that are all wrong, that affect mm-hmm. everything we do. So if someone is going through life and they, listening to this, they feel like maybe I am also dealing with religious trauma, what are some steps that they could take? Good question. Well, uh, one thing, and, and this is, uh, this is uh, um, very, very basic, but one thing is to... Uh, and if you need to get help, go ahead and get help. But one thing is to realize that that you're not wrong. It's no, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And when you start with that that first principle, you know there's nothing wrong with me. I am a survivor. I've survived. And then learn about what it is that you've survived, so that you can let go of blaming yourself and thinking of yourself. As a as a defective human being, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. And in fact, in psychology, all the diagnosis that goes on really doesn't help. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> because because uh, what people have done in to 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 cope and um, develop coping mechanisms is all actually pretty admirable. You know, to to be able to get through. And survive the whole thing, you know. If the, you you had these d- deadly ideas pounded into your head for years and years and years before you had any self defense whatsoever, then you know you have been infected, as Daryl would say, you've been inf- infected in a very serious way. But that doesn't mean that there's something intrinsically wrong with you. And so um, that's a, that's a starting point. And then um, depending on what you're dealing with. You know, like if you're really dealing with a lot of anxiety and um, trauma, and, uh, um, 
panic attacks and things like that, you may need to work with a therapist that can help you deal with how this has all been stored in your body because your nervous system has has been fucked with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, in conclusion, doctors, if, if, if uh, we, we've talked about how the psychology is trying to catch up I, uh, to it, is there is there any positive news as to us approaching that paradigm shift? Are we like still very far away from that? Well, I do think the fact that we're talking here today is a, a big step, and that, and we owe we owe a big debt of thanks to Marlene for even coining the term religious trauma, because you know sometimes when you can name something, mm-hmm. it it gives you a handle and you can move forward. Yeah, and I think the culture right now, it, here's what years ago I discovered something uh, in in my work as an organizational psychologist. I've noticed that if if I introduce an idea in one area of the company, and then six months later I'm in a totally different area and I hear that idea being used, a place I'd never even been to, that told me I had influence. Well, that's what I'm seeing. Uh, this notion of religious trauma is now starting to be used by people who don't even know who Marlene is. Mm-hmm. And, that's, uh-huh. and that's a good thing, because it means it's, it's penetrating the culture. And it just takes a while. I mean, how long did it take for us to recognize PTSD? You know, we yeah. we called it shell shock from World War One. You know, mm-hmm. they're still and trying to recognize what, CPTSD. Pardon? I said they're still trying to recognize CPTSD. Oh, oh yeah, right, right, right. So I'm just saying we we've got a platform because Marlene named this. And now we've got a name, and, and I know people, there's still controversy, and there's plenty of room to argue about this stuff, but the fact that we've named it gives us an, a new platform. Mm-hmm. We've, we've stepped up another step culturally. We had PTSD, we had shell shock first, and we had PTSD, now we've got, now we've got religious trauma, and, and that's what we want to keep doing, and that's why we're so excited about this conference. This conference is not Marlene and I's idea. This is Janice Selby's idea, and I want to give her a lot of shout out here uh, we'll the, have her on the show as well in the future here yeah i do and it was her idea to put this together she invited marlene and i pretty pretty quickly after that and we i think marlene both saw the value of, of this and we're just totally supportive of it but i want to throw one little plug in here we have a fundraiser going on oh. to help to help uh help fund this conference and bring students to the conference oh nice students are the next generation of therapists. Students are the next generation of research psychologists. Mm-hmm. We need to get people here so they start using the terminology and understanding it at a very strong level. And then they can go back to their universities and challenge their, their professors to, to acknowledge this and start talking about this. So we, we need your help in, in publicizing the fundraiser it's on a GoFundMe it's it's on every, all of our websites you can just find it at mm-hmm. court20.org or recovering uh, yeah it's court2020.org and then just hit fundraiser button there we yes. we need funds and every uh, I don't remember how much but for every like two or three hundred dollars we raise we'll be able to bring a student that's so or, awesome or, or subsidize a student we, the student still has to pay I think I can't remember ninety nine dollars or something, but mm-hmm. the rest of it. I mean, this these conferences cost money, and we can't mm-hmm. afford to just give them away. No, I agree. But we we want students to come. 
We will make sure you're at Left of the Valley. We will kidnap one of your two students. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I missed that. No, I said here at Left of the Valley, we'll make sure we'll kidnap one or two students and bring them to the conference, just to make sure. (laughs) We got Nancy on this. um, Thank you guys for doing what you're doing. It's excellent because, um, as as Gerald said, you know, it's it's spreading the word. So, um, you know, these podcasts and and, um, um, print media, all all the ways that we can educate therapists and the general public about uh, religious trauma is great. So thank you so much for that. I wanted to also mention that um, I've been noticing I have a subscription to an academic uh, paper service that has um, more research papers and academic that go around in in, uh, more academic circles. And religious trauma is showing up. Nice. In in those areas, which is great. I mean, this is new. and people are, are really starting to try and, I mean, it, it, it started in a kind of funny way because when I, this, this service that I have will automatically alert you if you get cited in something. Hmm. Oh. And so I started getting cited in these, in academic papers, which is really interesting because my work is, is written mainly to the lay person, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it, leaving the fold is a self-help book. I'm not claiming empirical research or anything like that. It's 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 clinical research in that you know case studies count as mm. data, but but it's just exciting to see that that uh, in academic circles they're actually studying it with a, mm-hmm. a, a a little bit of an attitude of seeing what's going on. Well, when when um, Kirsten had a uh, segment on our on our show, and you'll hear it when you if you listen to the beginning uh, beginnings of our show when we do our chit chat, and then uh, Kirsten does does one on on religion, and the one that she did today had to do with a family where mm-hmm. the father died, and the mother thought he was going to resurrect. They were, um, you know, really a, 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 an aberration of a, of a group in terms mm-hmm. of their, their religious beliefs. But there were five children in the house, and this man um, lay in that bed for, what, six months? and About six months, About yeah. six months, and they, they taped the door so there wouldn't be any smell. But And there were seven, there were seven housemates and five five children uh, with this man rotting away because they were waiting for him to resurrect. Now, uh-huh. if those children were to get therapy, would the therapist not look at religious trauma or the religion, or would they say that these people are delusional and mentally ill and therefore not go, as you were saying earlier, Marlene, to the to the root of that uh, of the problem that it is religious trauma and not because of some uh, cult or because of some fringe, but the actual religion itself. Well, you, you you raise a very very good point, and that is that whenever there's something really strange that happens, an extreme like that, um, what people usually say is that these were these people were crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that they and that they took their religion too far. It was what they did with their religion. I hear this all the time where people say, religion's okay, it's what people do with it. Exactly. 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 As if as if religion can be healthy, and, and I've also been criticized for, um, 
for painting too broad a brush and saying that all religion is bad, which which I don't. I think that there are um, healthy versions even of Christianity where people can have their own views, where critical thinking is encouraged, where you have community, um, sing some songs. You know, there are benign, more benign anyway. I think there's still some problems, but um, no, it's not true that all religion has to be bad. Or spirituality, which is another whole big subject. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, usually, usually the people themselves get blamed for yeah. being for being crazy, and then the religion was just something that they happened to be involved in. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, Doctor Daryl, Doctor Del Rey, and Doctor uh, Wynell, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Really, really appreciate your time explaining this uh, to all of us. But. The mic is all yours. Be shameless. Go ahead, plug your book. If people want to find out more about where you are, where can they find you? Uh, journeyfree.org. Journeyfree is my organization. Um, there's a link there to the book, uh, Leaving the Fold. There's also a free download of a workbook to go with the book. Oh, nice. That you use to do all the exercises. The book is full of exercises to help you process all the different issues that, that I discuss. Awesome. So there's that, and there's also information about an online support group. Um, and, of course, the conference, court2020.org. Court2020, court the retreat. This this January retreat happens to be full, but there will be others, so you can find out about that. Fantastic. And Dr. Ray, how about yourself? Well, I, I, first of all, I'd say get on the waiting list for Merlin's retreats, because I've <laughs> come across many people who say they they were life-changing, so uh, get on it and and, and experience it if you can. Well, I'm at recoveringfromreligion.org, and if you need any help, we're there to help you. We're not uh, our people aren't therapists; they're volunteers, but they can help connect you to a therapist. And then you can also look at seculartherapy.org to uh, find a secular therapist who's probably well trained in even religious trauma, or certainly more well trained than the religious counselors. I will advise your listeners: don't go to religious counselor because they're never going to. Tr- they're probably not going to challenge the root of the issue. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Otherwise, you can get me on Twitter at Dr. D. Ray, 132, way 132 and I'm on Facebook as well. Perfect. Um, yeah. Perfect. Now we have- uh, Yeah, my books are uh, The God Virus, How Religion Infects Your Lives and Culture, and Sex and God, uh, How Religion Distorts Sexuality, and either one of those books will... Are the best books ever written, besides, of course, <laughs> <laughs> they are fantastic books. I will vouch for that for sure. Well, I don't oh, know, Mar- I don't know Marlene. Yeah, I don't know, Marlene. You need to dispute that. That sounds like we could have a have a, a pretty good war going here well, between the two of you. I I I was going to say when you asked about people's um, steps in recovery, um, is to is to just to read a lot, educate yourself, listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. read. You know, just open up. Let your let your brain breathe. Is what I like to say. Yeah, for, 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 forgive my my uh, my my crude nature here, but it's true. I've always said, you know, education will fuck up your religious belief. It really will. <laughs> <laughs> it really will. <laughs> uh, well, we had Doctor Rick give us a plug before, but we'll have Doctor Wynell. Doctor Wynell, can I, I can't let you go before I have you say hi. This is Doctor Wynell uh, of uh, I guess I guess we could say Journey. Oh, just it's Wynell, by the way. Sorry. Winnell. Winnell. Oh, I'm sorry. God, I'm just masquering your name here. My goodness. My apologies, Margaret. It's amazing. He's sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Can I have you say, hi, this is Dr. Winnell, and I took a left of the valley. 
Hi, this is Dr. Winnell, and I took a left at the valley. Fantastic. And that was Dr. Winnell and Dr. Del Rey. My goodness, what a topic. Yeah, I thought I, right at the end when Dr. Winnell, you know, we talked about uh, going to, to meet them at Court 2020, and she was talking about taking a test on the books before we could come. I thought for sure she was going to say, Kevin, you've got to say my name right three times in a row before. Yes, I'm, my apologies to Dr. Margaret Winnell. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dr. Marlene Winnell. Okay, oh. I got it. I got it. I, I, there okay, you go. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not great with names. Okay. <laughs> My name is Johnny Cash. And, <laughs> and the, the number of times I screw up on names, I'm, you know, I'm still ahead of you, believe me. But this was an yeah. important topic. It was. And the fact that yeah. psychology is starting to recognize religious trauma is important. And the fact that... Where I'm, I'm starting to hear the word in the everyday jargon lingo of people, and that is a big step forward. It's a bit like like we're doing the uh, the uh, comparison with PTSD. That's exactly it, you know. P- and PTSD is a word everybody uses mm-hmm. today. It's accepted by the population. Religious trauma is on that verge. Yeah. Let's keep going. Let's keep well, doing the good think, work. Well, that's right. In, in asking her that question about people who are obviously suffering, you know, from from trauma that is is based in their religious beliefs. Yeah. That that's that's such a red flag and a beacon that says, look at the religion, not at, at how we react yeah. to it. This is what the root cause was. It and is. you would think that there would have been that link years ago. You think? But obviously it's no there's the good calm religion and then there's the cult crazy people. Yeah. yeah. They're related people. The, this, this is the ultimate problem with religion, right? It's the fact that it, it adheres to culture and to the point that it identifies itself as culture. And to the vast majority of people out there that are religious, they are good people. So when you were telling them that your religion is crap, they said, well, yeah, but I'm a good person. How can it be crap? Right? They identify with it. And this is where the problem arises. But you could be a very good person. But if you are, uh, I, I like to quote Sam Harris on this, you know, and says, you know, it's not extremists that are dangerous. It's fundamentalists. Because the fundamentals of the religions are flawed. You know, if you get, if you get uh, for example, you take Jainism, for example. It's a religion that's extremely peaceful. The more extreme you are as a Jain person, as a, as a religious person that, of Jainism, the less we have to worry about you. You know, because you're the type of guy that won't walk uh, because you're afraid you're going to crush some spider with your feet, right? They're extremely peaceful. But the more extreme you are as, I don't know, a Christian, for example, well, then we have to start worrying about you. It's not the extremism. It's the fundamentals of the religious and their mm-hmm. teachings that we have to worry about. And this is another good step that we're working mm-hmm. towards. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards that end. So that's great, fantastic news for all of us. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, ladies, and thank you to Dr. Marlene Winnell and Dr. Del Rey for joining us on the show. And thank you for listening. You can find us on leftandvalley.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. You can send us an email at leftandvalley at outlook.com. Give us a five-star review where you find us. It helps us and helps others find the show. You can become a patron like our new patron, uh, Adrian. Uh, yes, <laughs> and our friend Free Think- FreeThinker215, you can go to patreon.com slash LETV for that. Okay, coming up, what we got coming up? Next week, the ladies from Secular Soup will be joining us. Mm. Gonna sell that war once and for all. Mm. And of course, after that, we have our Christmas special and the best of 2019. 
And we'll start the new year with Dr. Dr. Sorry. With Tracy Harris. And we'll also have Randolph Richards of Canadian Atheists. And we'll have Janice Selby that we were talking about, about today that basically is doing the court 2020 Ooh. conference. Ooh. So we have all that starting for the new, new year. Perfect. Excellent. Anything else we need to add? Join us next week to find out if Kevin gets left alone at the valley. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this could have been my last show, in other words. Well, if it was my last show, thank you so much for joining us and being with us. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. You don't, you, you don't need to see my face anymore. I know, but what you're really saying is I'm too ugly to be on your show. No, I understand. no, no, no. It's just audio. Don't worry what about it. What Kevin's saying is he's feeling shy today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have an important question for you guys. Uh, when do I, uh, when am I promoted to full-time paid staff and earn the big bucks like uh, Kevin does? <laughs> God, <Yeah>. if you <laughs> only knew. <laughs> Kevin really earns any money. <laughs> okay, le- leisurely lunch uh, on you guys, right? Thank yeah, you. of course, of course, with all the millions of dollars that we rake here at this podcast. Just remember, we, we do have McDonald's up here, so don't worry. All, and, and, and you can get the large French fries, so we spare no expense. <laughs>